Dan Patman with the Football Think Tank Podcast. This is our opening episode here, and I am very pleased to be joined by Amy Trask, Jeff Schwartz, and John Peterson discussing the pros and cons of college football as our unofficial farm system for the NFL. Here on the Think Tank Podcast, our goal is to dive deeper into issues that are facing the league and talk about, about what could and should happen moving forward. So far, as we talked about this evening, our, our guest, Amy Trask, is going to bring an excellent perspective from the standpoint of the teams and how they view these decisions. We have Jeff Schwartz, who's currently playing for the Detroit Lions, giving us a great perspective on how things have changed over his years in the league since he entered in 2008. And for those of you who don't know, we have John Peterson. John has been an area scout for the Carolina Panthers and Seattle Seahawks. Previously was vice president and general manager in the World League, director of player personnel in the CFL, has been a head coach in college. So basically, John's on a little bit of everything when it comes to personnel in and around the game of football. So with that, guys, I'm, I'm excited to, to jump in. And again, I want to start quickly here by getting Jeff's perspective on any changes that you've seen from your early days pre-2011 to what you're seeing more recently as it pertains to, to OTAs and these key player development times that are probably misunderstood by many. Yeah, I've seen this as a debate recently a lot in, in the kind of the public view, a lot in social media and Twitter. Um, and coaches have kind of complained a little bit too about this, the new time that we have in OTAs. And it used to be, we were in the facility about March 15th, we had 14 weeks. We're now there for nine at 10. If you have a new team, you get an extra um, OTA. Now I don't remember doing extra work with my coaches um, during that time. A lot of it was just like strength uh, strength and conditioning, and then we did our OTAs. Um, where where the new CBA has changed, and I think it, it has kind of hurt the game, especially uh, for offensive linemen. And it's my position. I I see it. It's, I think it's hurt tackling as well. Is that we don't have two days anymore? And I um, trust me. I I would. I'm so happy we don't have two days. I mean, I don't have to hit twice a day, but um, it's really hurt because tackling and blocking are things you need reps at. You need to get your calluses built up. You need to play when you're tired. And, and it's just different now. You don't have to do that. There's not as much pressure during camp, physical pressure. You meet more, you do some more mental things. But I think that that has changed the game uh, more than anything else, the lack of two-a-days. So that is what you're saying is probably the biggest change you've seen how has that impacted coaches in installation of concepts versus time on fundamentals? Yeah, it's a lot of um, installation, not as much fundamentals. Uh, you don't have the time. I mean, you used to be on the field uh, for five hours a day on a double day, maybe six hours. And so you, you install in the morning or the night before, and then you spend the whole day working on that one install. So you have plenty of time to install it and then plenty of time to work fundamentals. Now, because of the less practice time, you have to spend more time walking through in practice just to make sure the guys know the plays. Because the last thing you want to do is, is send an offense out you know, to play or defense out to play at practice doesn't know the plays, doesn't help anybody. Um, so you just don't have as much time. And then, you know, when you have double days, just double everything. So you have double the pass protection, double the run blocking, double the one-on-ones, double the, the footwork drills, the hand, you know, the handwork, the tackling, whatever it is, it's just less reps. And I think that that's, um, 
the biggest factor when when people say the game is not what it used to be. So, John, I want to bring you in here and ask what changes have you seen in terms of valuing players coming out of college? Not necessarily the evaluation, because you're going to go through and if you're studying an offensive line, you're going to study all the same traits, whether it was 2008 or, or 2014. But when it comes to deciding on which players that you are going to you know, value highly, want to acquire with a top 100 pick. Did you notice or hear about any changes in philosophy on acquiring guys who may be more developed these days so they can just go execute assignments as opposed to uh, you know, raw players that you need to bring along? Well, Dan, in my observations, uh, first of all, with the new style of college football, especially on the offensive side of the ball with the spread offenses, the less amount of time that they have, the 20-hour 20, 20 rule that they have during the in-season uh, for practice and, and preparation, those have really cut down on the the finite development of the players, and, and we see that cons- consistently, whether it's a, a, a top 50 guy across the country and, or perhaps a, a preferred free agent. And, and it's, that's kind of a, um, a basic uh, echo that you hear across the player personnel. This guy's just not very well developed in this. And, you know, his hand skills aren't really refined like we'd like to have them, uh, those type of things. So I think that's where you see it, uh, much like Jeff is saying, uh, at the NFL level with the CBA and the difference of the time and, and allotment of practice. We see that at the college level, and from a coming in as an observational standpoint and looking at the players, and uh, you know we see that we don't we see that 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 they're raw or in technique, if I can use that term, just not as refined in many areas. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, the the type of offense or defense that they're they're playing at the college may be very uh, maybe difference uh, have a difference involved compared to the NFL level, and then there's that adjustment period for that. Um, one of our players that, uh, from my area, Texas State, last year we drafted in the fifth round, David Mayo, who backed up uh, uh, Mr. Keekley, uh, Luke Keekley last year as a first-year player, did a really nice job for the amount of time he was in, but mostly on special teams. But the, the first thing that I asked him when he was through OTAs and when we came to training camp, I said, David, what's the biggest adjustment for you? What do you see? He, says, he said, first of all, you know, I was so used to seeing spread offense and, and being able to, to use my instincts and get to the ball with this and that. And now it's it's a whole different concept. Uh, it's not the spread offense and for the most part. And and so that learning curve and that adjustment in, in their technique as well as the instincts of how to play the game and whatnot, that's what I see, uh, Dan, to answer that question for you. I, I hear you. I hear you. So, Amy, it's, it's time to, to bring you in here and – you know, the question I have for you to, to kick this off is what is your take on whether it be an individual team or even a broader league view in addition to your own in the application of, you know, college football functioning as the farm system? You know, I, I would imagine financially it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, is that something that people are talking about? when they're bringing ownership together or behind closed doors with teams about, you know, areas to improve or explore. 
Well, the one thing I'll add to what the gentleman who just spoke said, and my hunch is they won't disagree with this, I'll be fascinated if they do, uh, is that the issues that each of you just raised are issues that are across the board for 32 teams. So notwithstanding the disadvantages or the concerns you articulated, those are across the board the same for each of the 32 teams. There's no competitive disadvantage, if you will. The advantage will be which team manages those issues and those challenges better than the other teams. And if one team or teams can find a way to better manage those challenges than others, they will have an advantage. Um, one thing that I have long advocated the league to do is expand roster size, both roster size as well as the number of players who may be active on game day. Because then irrespective of what's going on at the college level or irrespective of the restrictions imposed by the new bargaining agreement, you've got more players and more ability to develop more more players, both because you have a larger roster and with more active players on game day, depending on how a game is going, you may be able to get more players into a game situation than you otherwise would. And that, too, can be developmental in nature. So let's come back here to, to Jeff. When you're in the locker room and you're talking to the players and, you know, especially those who are younger and are trying to to learn the techniques that are brought along what what are their concerns about what they're facing so the average career length you know we're talking about under 3 years so you have a short period of time if you're you know not a first or second round pick to prove your worth and to make your way into the field to make that impact on the 46 man roster what are the concerns being discussed about how these individuals are being brought along in these different position groups um, when installing the the 11 on 11 concepts ends up taking priority over the position specifics well i think you end up finding that more athletes maybe get spots the more technicians uh, because you don't have time. If you're a technician type of player, you don't have that time to build, kind of build that up through practice because there's not as much practice anymore. So they, the athlete sticks over the guy who might not be as fast, but's a better technician because you don't have time to learn that. And, um, you know, I found with, you know, I can speak on offensive linemen, I, you know, that it seems to be going, you know, especially in the draft to where, um, the athletic guy is taken nine out of ten times over the guy who's a little less athletic but almost a better football player just because they can throw the athlete in there and hope he learns eventually um, with the you know with the speed and, and you know hey throw the guy in there he can make a play let's see what happens and um, you know no one really talks about it in the locker room but I get a sense from young guys that things kind of happen fast and it does it doesn't matter really in the old system or new system things happen fast when you're a rookie and um, you just have to try to manage that and and really you know you have to be ready to go that first preseason game because that's when you know the evaluation obviously happens in practice but you know the games are when you you know you put that film out there and all the teams can see it so John coming back to you when we talk about the the opportunities for players to develop clearly once they leave the college realm they move into the professional ranks um that is when you know the eyeballs are are, are hitting from the standpoint of these players if they don't immediately make it you know but maybe they have 
uh, a physical skill set that could be productive if brought along. We have historically had things like the World League and and NFL Europe, uh, obviously at one point competing league in the USFL. The Canadian League has been there. You've been a part of those types of organizations. Uh, How did those entities view themselves in relation to the NFL from the standpoint of uh, players departing? So I know every year the conversation points to the CFL and who's the next Cam Wake or what have you that's going to come down and make an impact. Actually being with those other leagues, how did they view themselves in terms of the development of these players? Uh, I think first of all, Dan, um, the Canadian League views itself as their own entity, you know this. The, the Canadian football game has some slight differences in the in the actual game itself and how it's played, the dimensions of the field, the number of downs, and so forth. So it it, it really it, it is it is the oldest professional football sport in the world. It's it's far more older than the NFL and any other leagues that exist. And and it's so it really has its own its own viewpoint. How people look at it, how they feel about themselves, and how they. Uh, um, present the game. Now, uh, I'd like to address a couple of different things that you, you were asking about. I've been a member of general manager of the San Antonio Riders in the World League of American Football from its inception. And of course, the NFL uh, started it. It was, uh, it was both privately owned and also owned by the National Football League teams. And then we had teams in Europe. We had teams in England. We um, in, in Barcelona, Spain, and Germany, Frankfurt. Um, so in London, I should say also. So then we had the teams here in the United States. A fascinating concept, just a fascinating concept of spreading football around the world was for, certainly the, the first uh, objective of the National Football League, obviously wanting to get into Europe with football as it has on a different type of basis other than a, a pure league situation as, it, as we had in the World League. But... It was an interesting. We can we uh, we looked at ourselves as a developmental league. We were not to challenge the National Football League or the CFL. We are its own entity, and in the developmental process. Um, in San Antonio, uh, I hired Mike Riley as our head coach. He's presently the head coach at Nebraska. The first draft choice we made was a guy named uh, Jason Garrett, the present head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He was our quarterback, and a number of other names that were in the league. A fantastic league. The concept was great, but eventually finances and so forth, and after two years it was terminated and eventually came back in Europe as NFL Europe. Um, uh, The other leagues that exist, the USFL had a really good start. Again, they were developmental, and then because of some different type of ownership philosophies, they wanted to turn and challenge the National Football League. And that's a very, very difficult uh, entity to try to challenge. Um, you know, recently we've had some, some, some programs have come on the forefront. This past fall, the last two falls, we've had a, the FXL, the, um, the Fall Experimental Football League in some smaller t- communities. Uh, again, developmental. Uh, and then at the same time, we've had on the horizon this particular spring coming up, our spring league. And, um, and, and that uh, right now is in a, in a suspended stage right now, and that's the major football league is the title of that. The whole key is we need a developmental league to assist the National Football League with player development. Let me give you a little kind of a proposal. Right now, if you look at the system that we have, college football is it, as itself is, is the pure farm system for the National Football League, Canadian leagues, and any other leagues that exist. 
you know, you look at it. Division two, division three level football is like a a ball in baseball, the farm system. Division um, division one, double A, or the, the term we use for it, football, whatever non-subdivision, whatever it is, is like is like double A baseball. And then division one football of 121 division one teams is like triple A baseball. So we have a, we have a, a, a graded system there. And, and, and the certain players are at that level because of their ability and success and so forth. So it's a built-in system for the National Football League. Now, to answer your question, what happens when they're drafted, sign as a preferred free agent, get into a camp, get into an OTA, and get into a training camp, what happens to the young man? Well, uh, a lot of times you hear the word, well, he got caught up in the numbers. You know, we, had, uh, we started with 12 receivers. You know, we're going to cut and we're going to carry – five or six, depending on certain situations. And this guy's a good football player, but we just can't have him. And at the same time, if you carry him on the practice roster, which has been increased now to 10 players for the next fall, then, then, then there's a certain amount of players, again, who, who are not gifted enough or at the same level of the other practice roster player to stay on it. But what about those players? They certainly have traits. They certainly have ability. And are they on the street now? And so now their agents trying to get him a workout. You know, I get calls a million calls a day. You know, can we can we get him into camp? Can I get him in front of you guys to work him out and this type of thing? And I say, hey, that's the pro department. I only work with college. My proposal is this. My proposal is this. Because of how the prior leagues, startup leagues, have not made it, it's purely a financial situation when it all looks down to it. And, you know, you have a group of people who get together, they're excited. We want to start a league, okay? But just, they don't understand what it costs, the total cost involved, the time, the personnel, and so forth. And eventually, that catches up to them, and they realize, holy smokes, what did we get into? What I feel we need is each in, each in NFL team would have their own their own uh, farm team, if you want to call it that, their own developmental team is a better word, excuse me, a developmental team in a mid-sized market, whatever it is, play in the fall so they are in co- competing amongst other, other teams. The NFL team supports it financially. The player personnel for that team are the guys they've had in training camp. They're now continuing to develop further and also others that they get, but the pro personnel, they have, they're totally on top of it, so they know the personnel. They can go out and get people for that team and so forth and, and, and nurture it. If they, if they have a practice roster player who is elevated to the active that particular week, I need another person for the practice roster. I'm not going to go on the street. I've got my own person in our system. He's learning our own system. He's being coached by people that we've hired who know our techniques and what, what we want to do, how to do it, and at the same time, he is learning, he's understanding for that particular team. So when it comes time for OTAs or whenever he comes on ball in the spring, whatever, he's there. He's in training. One of the problems with past spring programs, spring football, is that they were occupied from January 30th all the way through to mid-June. And perhaps they get injured. They're on injured reserve, but they're with that team. They're not in a, a training session with that club in their in their facility. They're not in OTAs because OTAs are done by the time their season may, may finish. And at the same time, they've got a short window 
of five, four or five weeks to get ready for camp if I'm able to get a contract. And at the same time, at the same time, they haven't learned the system. They've been involved with another program. They missed all that learning time in addition to, to understanding what's expected. So now you throw them into training camp. They just arrive in training camp, and they're just they're, they're really running, running scared. It's a difficult situation. So I guess my proposal is each individual NFL team has their own developmental team, as is the model of NBA basketball with a developmental basketball league that they have. And I think that's the most ideal situation to have for the NFL to have a developmental program, but have it within them each individual club. So, Amy, jumping over to you on that one, the idea of continuing uh, developmental leagues on the whole, again, as John brought up, the financial uh, aspect of that, um, you know, break, let's break down feasibility for a second on that side of it from where, what you've seen and heard and, and your thoughts on that. Well, I think there's um, one very, very easy and obvious reason why NFL Europe didn't prove to be the developmental league it was hoped to be, and one easy and obvious solution, and that has to do with the location of the league. Uh, there were plenty of times we discussed during my years in the league, both individually as a club, between and among member clubs, and with the league as a whole, that the fact that that league was in Europe made it very, very difficult for teams to send their personnel over there to scout the players, to work with the players, to evaluate the players, to assist the players, and to make it truly a developmental or an evaluation league. Um, look, if you're in California, or let's even say the clubs on the West Coast defining the West Coast as Denver and West, to make a trip to Europe to scout, to assist, to develop, you know, you're losing an employee for a lot of days for a trip of that distance. So one thing that we, and when I say we, it's dating back to when I was with the Raiders, repeatedly suggested to the league at the time is do a league like that, but move it to a region or two in the United States that's proximate to all teams so that each team has perhaps a two and a half or three and a half hour or you know, even a four hour flight to get there. And you can send your personnel down to evaluate, to scout, and to assist, and to truly develop players in a manner you can't when the league is in Europe. So, Jeff, I want to extend off of Amy's comment there and point to an article that came out beginning of the month by Jason Lockenfora of CBS. And he was reporting from owners meetings and discussing how the, this idea of a developmental league, obviously not a new one, but the idea of bringing one back uh, was important and, and then certain options were laid out. And as we've heard about here again this evening, the idea of a league and playing games to get better and I want to I want to ask this question of you: When it, you go out to play games, whether it's it's high school or, or these days even going all the way down to Pop Warner, all the way up to the NFL, the idea of winning becomes paramount for people. When financial stakes are tied to winning, then the objective for those calling plays, acquiring players, what have you, is all derived around that. So you as the individual player, do you think a league that is not the NFL, that is quote-unquote developmental, needs to play games in order to bring a player along? Or does that actually become 
the creating an opposite situation in which the people, because they're focused on making money, putting uh, people into seats, uh, what have you, to make sure the league's at least revenue neutral, if not positive, being the overall outcome I'm assuming people would want from a financial standpoint, does that end up hurting the player development? Because again, you're talking about scheming out the other guys opposed to bringing your players along. A couple of things. Uh, to answer your question real quick, I think that games have to be played. Um, you have to show that you can translate what you learn from your coaching staff, what you've learned from the playbook, and you can do it in a pressure situation. Practice and games are totally different. And so you have to be able to show you can do it when the lights come on, uh, when there's pressure, uh, when plays need to be made. So I think you'd have to play games. I think just doing it as a, if you're going to do it developmentally, you have to play games. But honestly, the way the league is trending, um, I don't see a developmental league getting anyone a job uh if you if you send a guy to a, a, a developmental league he plays two or three years he's now 24 years old they'll just go draft someone who's 21 who can do the same thing the 24 year old can do i mean that's the way the league is trending it's going younger um the middle kind of middle of the nfl is kind of gone uh that's our fault we signed the cba it's what's what's turned out to be and um i just don't see where um teams would really want to take a 24-year-old when they can find someone who's younger and maybe cheaper and can do the same thing the 24-year-old can do. Maybe I'm just uh, too skeptical about that, but um, I just don't see that uh, working very well for players. So let me ask you one more, Jeff, in terms of development of players. And again, I'm separating really skill development, fundamentals, technique execution from the 11-on-11 uh, schematic piece of things. So the original question here this evening was, you know, what are the pros and cons to college football as the unofficial farm system in terms of bringing players along? And what I'm hearing from your last answer is the, your your suggestion or what your assumption is, I guess, based on the decision makers you've seen that they believe college can still produce a player that has enough viable technique to move forward. So I guess my question for you is what is needed in terms of developing technique? What do you think is most lacking in those areas, uh, whether it be in the college game or in the pro game that, that needs to be brought up? I know you mentioned blocking and, and tackling, but if you could expand a little bit upon that. Well, it's just time and reps. I, I, I used to think that colleges, um, the college game, was a developmental league for the NFL. I don't think that way anymore, especially with offensive line play. I mean, it's just they're two different styles. I think John mentioned this with the spread offense. It's two different styles of play. So you have to, when you scout a guy or when you watch a guy, you have to hope that what they do will translate to the NFL game. And um, it's the spread offense is not going away. And it's changed a couple positions. Um, you know, there's now a, a basically, you know, like, will linebackers in college are 210. I mean, they're like safeties now because they have to run around so much and they have to play on the slot. I mean, that's changed. A, a, it's made a totally new position, essentially. So the NFL has had to adjust their defenses because this is the guys they're getting in now. I mean, so you have to – it sort of has changed the NFL. And um, I don't see it as – I guess it is a, a farm system, but um, the NFL has almost had to adapt um, to change their the way we play – 
uh, more than college has to change to the NFL. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So you're saying because the time is not available for those developments to do the things that were being done as of, well, let's say, five, ten years ago even, um, that the NFL should actually move closer to college so that there's a more apples-to-apples well, translation. Well, I I don't want it to. I mean, I still want to run the ball and and uh, and you know do the things that that I did eight years ago when I first came in. Uh, I don't I don't like watching spread offenses anymore. I used to love it. I went to Oregon. Trust I I love spread offenses. But the more I've watched them, the more they're just boring. Uh, I, I mean, bubble screens. Uh, trickeration. I mean, I like I like watching Alabama. I like watching uh, Michigan State, Michigan, USC teams that Ohio State even. Ohio State's in a in a in a spread air quotes. I mean, they're in a shotgun, but they run power football. And I like watching um, those kind of old school teams that get under center and run the ball. So, John, let me come back to you. You were obviously uh, pitching the idea of a developmental league like the D League from the NBA. What do you think? Uh, teams, GMs, let's put it to that level. Let's just say GMs, ownership, top-level decision-makers would be hoping for, what would be the best possible outcome of a D-League type setup? Is it one or one guy on your 46, one more on your mid-season 53, and a few practice squad spots? I mean, what kind of reasonable expectations would you have for people coming up through the pipeline, kind of building off of what Jeff mentioned before? Dan, I want to just present this thought first. Uh, our former uh, general manager, Marty Hernian of the Carolina Panthers, I had a discussion with him one time. We got in developmental the, the process of talking about uh, player personal development. And I'll never forget what Marty says. He said the number one function of a, in a, a developmental league would be to develop, uh, position-wise, the number one position to develop are quarterbacks. Because quarterbacks have to have playtime. They have to be under fire in order to progress and increase their skill levels and their observation of coverages and then the execution, of course, of the game. So I, I think that really resonates in my mind when I think of the discussion that Marty and I had. And he was just said, this is it. I mean, if you're going to have a spring league, if you're going to have a developmental league, whatever it might be, it has to develop the quarterbacks as the number one position. And I think all of us would agree that the third-team quarterback is holding a clipboard. He's running practice cards during the week. Does he ever see the field? Obviously not. Uh, unless they put him on special teams, as, as Carolina has with their third-team guy right now. Um, so that's, that's really paramount in my mind. And Jeff made the comment about that's all we see is spread offenses, and now they get to the National Football League game. It's a whole different process. And I guess that's why I go back to the fact that a developmental league, in the fall especially, so whether playing the sport with the team and can go up and down and whatever, and playing, that is so paramount because they're playing the game. And now now that opportunity to develop their skills. And I, and I then also add on to it, they're playing the game in a pro system. And even perhaps under the, the, the offense and defense that that particular club that puts them there or would like to have them, that kind of thing. Again, it's continuity for the pro football game. And I think what Jeff said, it just resonates to me. It's the pro football game. And how many times am I in a scouting staff meeting and we, and we hear the words, you know what, it's, it's, it's going to be his redshirt year. It's just like a college freshman taking the time off and develop. It's going to be his redshirt year because he just, he's, he's not a quick learner. He's got ability. But 
it's it's going to take him time, and and that I think really is is is, is paramount. What's going on today in college football, and then the transition to the next level. Um, but the talent level is there. The refinement of the talent has to be made, and that's why a lot of guys get pushed out the door. And you think, gee whiz, this guy's a good football player, and he didn't make it, or you know he's he's on the street. And and I guess that's really uh, something I think is really important. Okay, so Amy, let's take John's uh, assertion there on quarterback being you know a premium position clearly, and the development of which being paramount to the league success. Do you think you could sell ownership across the league on funding an entire developmental league when the the best outcome you could have is that maybe one or two, maybe three quarterbacks over the course of a couple years could be developed into productive starters by giving them the reps when maybe other positions uh, don't end up, you know, kind of transferring as many people over? You asked the question um, as I hoped you would ask it, uh, because I bristle when I hear people say ownership, and I'll put that word in quotes for a minute, will not like X or will like X. Look, there are 32 owners, and yes, there are owners who are more powerful than other owners, more influential than other owners, but and, and by the way, some of that influence and some of that power is because those owners know how best to build coalition to get support for an idea. Any idea, uh, with the exception of one issue, every other issue at the league level is decided by three quarters of the ownership. So when you say ownership or you ask about a co- ownership across the board, the question is, can you get a vote of three quarters of the owners? And each and every owner evaluates money differently. Um, It is a myth that all owners look at the economics of any given situation in the same manner. There is a huge, huge gap in money separating the high revenue clubs from the lower revenue clubs. And an owner that has acquisition debt or other debt or EBITDA covenants or debt coverage ratios is going to evaluate costs differently than an owner who's at the top of the heap with respect to revenues and who may not have those sort of debt issues or debt coverage ratio issues sitting on his club. So, you know, before I turn this into too much of what I would enjoy, but many wouldn't, which is a geeky financial analysis, I'll just end by saying you're going to have to build a coalition of three quarters of the owners to do something like this. And it all starts with the league office and what the league office will recommend. So what I've heard, you know, a couple times in different manners, John obviously presented the D-League idea. Amy presented the idea of expanding rosters in general to give those players uh, an opportunity, even on game day, uh, to get reps even just on special teams. And I'm, I pivot back to the, the article I mentioned before. And Jeff, I want to come to you again. And it's it's close to the question I asked you before, but I want to attack this idea that they present of the in-season academy model. Yeah, I was gonna. I was actually gonna ask John. Um, a, instead of a developmental league, what if the practice squad was essentially like twenty-five players, and every Friday after practice they put the pads on and had a scrimmage? Would that be something Jeff, that would, like be, would be easier yeah, to Jeff, actually develop in a league? Yeah, I mean that's certainly a certainly a, a concept and to look at it, it, very closely. I mean, think of this: when you're a freshman in college, 
and you're redshirted, okay? And you scrimmage. And I can't flip back to you scrimmage. And you scrimmage on Monday night. It's Thursday. Yeah, oh, Monday we, night. Oregon, Oregon, we did, yeah, Oregon we did Monday night. Cause I, I wasn't redshirting, but I wasn't playing. So I had to go run with the team and then go put my pads on and go do the scrimmage. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Jeff. Catch it. Move down. Go ahead, Amy. I was going to say, Jeff, if I may, thank you for that, because I had mentioned expanding the roster size. I had mentioned expanding the active day numbers, but I failed to mention what you just did, and I think that is a tremendous idea. The practice squad as well. That's a great way for an organization to develop one's own players right under one's own nose. I mean, we all remember the end of The Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy wakes up and says to Auntie M, there's no place like home. So right. we can talk about a developmental league in the United States. We can talk about these other issues, but to increasing the size of your practice squad and developing your own players is a tremendous idea. So let's let's well, dive I'm, into I'm that one a little more because I think yeah. it, it. I like what you guys are presenting. I've been a fan of the in-season academy model, um, and it was a something where you you know set up training centers and bring in you know coaches who were not in from a head standpoint like a, let's say a tom coughlin say he's full-blown in retirement for lack uh, lack of better example is tom someone that could run an academy where people were being trained and developed uh and brought along but you guys are presenting the idea of expanding the practice squad adding the opportunity for scrimmage and i'm, I'm gravitating towards it so to kind of go further down that rabbit hole a little bit let me ask this question from a coaching standpoint so the coaching staff is currently constructed, is set up, obviously, to win on game day. So, so Jeff and John, I'm gonna, I want to hear from both of you over the course of this one. From the college standpoint of bringing in those, you know, the B team, basically, and letting those young guys scrimmage there once a week, do you think any changes would need to be made to the way coaching staffs were constructed or time was set out during the course of the week uh, to bring those other 25 guys along? Because when you talk about the third – quarterback holding the clipboard to kind of go further with that when you talk about running a practice card i'm not sure everybody that's me listening understands that that's not saying you're running your team's plays you're running no. the opponent's plays you know you're drawing right. up the opponent's plays right. on a card you're showing it to the the back end of your roster and you're saying go give our first team a look as to what they're going to see that week. So those guys in the far back end of the roster, even on the practice squad, are not consistently repping the techniques and plays that it would actually get them onto the field and dressing on the 46. So again, let me start with you, uh, Jeff, on this one. What Do you think any changes need to be made from a coaching standpoint to execute on a quote-unquote 25-man practice squad? So I was on practice squad and I've done the scout team. You should be using your techniques to run the other team's plays. So that's, I think, uh, um, something that's not really known. And and you will get cut off the practice squad for not using – so like if, if, you, if you're running a zone play and say they want it blocked a little differently than, than we would teach a zone play, you should, you, you should still use the techniques that the O-line coach has taught you. Uh, just you have to maybe – do it a little differently, but they want you to do the same technique. So I think as far as a scrimmage, I mean, you can say, I mean, it's not that much, it's not that hard to say, Hey guys, let's run inside zone to the left. This play, uh, you know, you don't have to name it. I mean, the, the guys should know what they're doing. You've installed inside zone, um, the entire off season. And then obviously that team that week is going to run inside zone. Hey, run power to the right. Uh, you know, said, hut. you run two jet, three jet. I mean, block the will. It's not, you know, the, 
you can make it um, easy enough to where coaches don't have to spend extra time putting in plays. And plus, you also have you know interns and you have the quality control guys. This can be maybe a time for them. I know they have a lot of work and and they don't have a lot of free time, but maybe this is a you know thirty minute time on Friday where they get a chance to lead the unit or lead the offense or however you, however you set it up. So, John, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that one as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I concur with Jeff. I, you could certainly do that, and at the same time, and I don't think you have to expand your coaching staff. I mean, Jeff, you made a good point. You've got quality control coaches, and boy, that's a chance for them. They're assisting for the most part. They're assisting the position coach. And, you know, our quality control coach at, at Carolina is an offensive. Uh, wide receiver coach and he works with with uh, Ricky Kroll and so forth that's a chance for him now maybe 30 minutes after practice twice a week uh, they stay out later that group stays out later with uh, the, the assistants and so forth and works on different things and then at the end obviously the end of the week you have a 30 minute scrimmage whatever it is but again you're executing your own system you're being coached by the coaches who are going uh, to have you for the future and so forth so, yeah, if you expand, if you – let's look at this. If you ex- cut the uh, full-team roster, let's say a developmental roster of 46 guys that you've got on your developmental team if you had a one privately owned by the club, and you cut that in half to, say, 25 guys, which is now your practice roster, you could make a lot of strides with their development and also within your system. And obviously the cost factor would be – substantially lower they'd be receiving a, a practice roster salary uh, and you've got the same coaches so no additional coaches are needed the, the same people are coaching them and so forth I think that's a vi- viable uh, situation that also increases the availability for those players at certain, especially at certain positions that you want that you need uh, extra help with and so forth and if if you make a change on that your pro personnel department okay I need a new I need a right tackle for our uh, expanded um, uh, quality control people our, our practice squad I should say I, I think it's a great 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 thought so Amy and why not well, I was going to say, why not grow? It? Why not grow it even beyond that? I mean, Jeff just identified that you are going to allow some of your quality control coaches and your assistants to your, look. Teams now have assistant coaches and assistants yeah. to the assistant coaches and quality control coaches. You use this as an opportunity to allow those individuals to develop. But why not expand that as well? You have assistants to your trainers. You have assistants to your assistants in the equipment room. Why not use it as a developmental plan for your organization as a whole? So not only are you developing players, you're developing your next generation of coaches and trainers and equipment personnel and your video department that is taping. I know we don't use tape anymore, but bear with me. I was there a long time ago. Taping practice. I mean, really, it's exciting what you suggested, Jeff, because you take it beyond the coaching area and you say, you know what? I'm going to use this and I'm going to develop my entire next generation of the organization. Right. So one of the things you brought up really early in the conversation, Amy, was the idea that because we are using college football as the unofficial farm system and all 32 teams are doing the exact same thing, that there was no built-in competitive disadvantage. It's the same hurdle for each team. So this particular plan intrigues me because it, again, it allows 
teams that have progressive tendencies that have developmental tendencies those that you know know how to bring people along in various aspects of their organization you know continue to find opportunities to gain competitive advantages over their That's competition you know john the, the only right. area that we didn't discuss here on that one in terms of development you know amy brought in you know your trainers which is a great one the people the, the medical side of it uh not necessarily understood by many um all the other support staff functions that were brought in what do you think it does to the scouting side of things because having been a pro scout and sitting there trying to find a guy for your practice squad in December, you know, week 14 or what have you, sometimes it can really be difficult. What do you think this could create in terms of an opportunity for scouts to come along uh, and get developed as well? Are you asking me, Dan? Are yes. Asking John? Okay, I'm sorry. I think, Dan, I think you're you're on a real hot hotbed right there. I think that's, again, the total personnel development from the player to the auxiliary staff to the coaches, and as Amy has mentioned and Jeff has mentioned, all that is developmental. And I think that's the that's been always been a purpose in the spring leagues and whatever type of developmental leagues outside the NFL is a developmental concept for administrators and marketers and everybody else. That's always been a part of that developmental program. If you have an internal club developmental program, again, comprehensive as we're describing, I think that's, that's, that's excellent. Now, the question, go back to your question, what does it do for the, for the player personnel department? Well, that would be the pro department, number one. At that time of the year, obviously, it's the pro department who has to locate and identify. But you know what? That's their job. And yes, there are some certain times when they have a hard time of finding this particular position. You know, we've scoured our computers, we've scoured this and that. Hello. Okay. Hi. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, and, and, and we've we've gone past this. I, I, am I still there? You're, yeah, you're good, John. Yeah. Keep going. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, Dan, I'm sorry. So what happens is that pro department, that's their job. You know, they have they have backup lists, they have immediate lists and emergency lists and you name it, and, and that's their job to get it. So, I, you know, that, that would be just part of the animal at that particular time of year is how I would look at that. Sure. sure. Amy, did you have something and, to add? And not a challenge. I was saying, Hello? Amy, did you have something to add in terms of the, the development piece there? Well, no, simply what you were talking about, um, and, and I, I did note that, that whether it's um, the college challenges um, or the roster limitations or the CBA um, limitations on practice, those apply to the 32 clubs equally. And as you just identified, this also would be across the board an equal opportunity. So really, it's business Darwinism. The best teams will succeed, and the best teams will do the best. Yeah. No, it's one of those. I, uh, Lewis Riddick always has the line of the rich get richer and the poor sell hope in some of these situations <laughs> where certain teams always seem to rise above uh, and put themselves in a good situation. But one other question that kind of occurs to me on this, and I want to bring this one to Jeff, it's the idea that the, the opportunities in a development league – um, most people immediately assume that those are going towards, you know, guys fresh out of college, those that were in the last wave of cuts that, you know, were your seventh wide receiver when you were only keeping six or what have you. What do you think 
this particular plan that's being set forth could do for that middle tier of players you were talking about, the, the, the soon-to-be vested vets or maybe just into vested vet situation, four-plus accrued seasons um, that usually have to spend the year on the street? Is this an opportunity for them to stay engaged, stay in shape, uh, and be ready to be brought up during the course of the year? You know, it definitely is if the if the if you go to the developmental league. Um, but then again, you, you kind of have to learn, um, you know, new techniques, new systems to be able to join that del- you know developmental league. You know, I think that if there's a way to allow those players to, if you expand the practice squad roster, I don't know what you know. Then what can practice squad be open to everybody? I don't know if a fifth year vet's going to want to 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 be paid what a practice squad player gets paid. I mean that sure. comes down that comes down to it as well. And you know, I think that and John can probably talk about it, Amy as well. I mean, by the third or fourth year, you pretty much know whether a guy can play or not. Um, so if a fifth year guy is on the street, is a developmental league really going to get him? Um, you know, more reps, um, and then teams would be like, all of a sudden, oh, that guy can play. They probably had enough NFL film so far to where you know whether or not the guy can play. Maybe, you know, and a guy who's injured uh, might give him time to rehab and get some football reps in before um, he needs to play in a real game. But I don't see how that would help a, a you know, fourth or fifth, sixth year player to go to develop, uh, you know, developmental league. They are who they are. Uh, I can agree with that one. John, do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I agree with Jeff. I mean, you know, usually right now when you look at the rosters and uh, the third year is 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 really the the difficult year for that particular player. You know, it's kind of fish you cut bait. You know, this is the year you got to make it, and if not, you're going to move on, uh, move on from our club, anyways. And and so I think you would have to have a stipulation as far as age is concerned, or an injury situation, it's a chance for him to get back to rehabilitating get back in and so forth and use his skills uh, but I, I really think that, that again that purpose is to develop a younger player and if he's had his chance he's been in a certain number of time or years and so forth then, then I think you know you have to have a cutoff. Well, the reason I asked the question in the way I did was in addition to continuing to keep the rosters for the practice squad at 10 players, when they moved it up to 10, they also added a rule that teams could use two of those spots for those that would would usually not have been eligible. So you needed to have, um, you know, under two accrued seasons in order to, you know, maintain that position. They allowed two beyond that. So a guy that would be potentially in a third or fourth year uh, to be on the practice squad. Well, in addition to the expansion of the timeline in terms of keeping 10, they also moved that threshold from two to four players. So now four of the 10 can be of that that you know uh, more veteran status from an accrued season standpoint. But, uh, so it's one of those things, you know, maybe you had, you know, a guy or two in this case. Uh, somebody was clearly advocating that they might have had three or four of those guys around that just needed a bit more time. Well, I want to um, wrap up in this manner with you guys. I'd love to give each of you a chance to, to spend a few seconds, uh, again, kind of laying out you know, where you're at in terms of the, the college end of the farm system, and then your thoughts for you know, where you would like to see things go moving forward. Uh, obviously, you know, some of those have been laid out, but you know, kind of your wrap up there. So, Jeff, why don't you fire off first? You know, I definitely think that there, there needs to be some system set up 
Um, I kind of just wish the college game would go back to what it used to be and guys would come in and be ready to play. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just skeptical of um, another system. I, I just don't see – the NFL would have to have a big cultural change to accept um, – a system, a developmental system, and, and allow guys to take time to get ready. Um, you know, the the teams want production now, and um, it just, I, I think it would, it sounds great, but I just think it would be tough. I mean, you mentioned, you know, that they moved the practice squad now, you know, guys who are older guys can, can be on the practice squad, but how often is that really happening? And then how often are those guys then getting to move up to the roster and play? It doesn't happen very often. So I think that if, if, People desire um, guys to be almost more ready to play. Then the college game has to change, um, and I don't think it has. And that's why you see the NFL um, kind of changing the way that that they look at college players and the way they uh, scheme in the NFL. Uh, it's kind of trying to match the personnel they get from college. Amy, what are your thoughts? Uh, threefold, and, and the first two I'll note to Jeff, this may be a conversation for another day, Jeff, but I'll be interested at some point in pursuing a discussion as to whether you think the changes that we've all seen in the college system are cyclical. Will we see a change back, or are these changes here to stay? That's one issue. Uh, I don't disagree with you, by the way, as to some sort of an age limit, if you will, on the practice squad. I'm not sure where I peg that limit, but I don't disagree. I don't necessarily disagree with you that a, that a limit is necessary. Uh, my overall thought to the discussion we're having as to college is this. We may soon see significant changes to college football, and I'm not talking right now in terms of X's and O's and the system that are being played in college, but we may see some systemic institutional changes to the approach to college football, whether based on NC2A issues, concussion issues, or other issues. So I would like to see us explore at some point in the future a discussion as to whether or not we're predicating our entire premise on a premise that may change. I like that thought. And John, your wrap-up thoughts on this one. Well, Amy, I thought you th- both Amy and Jeff, I think your thoughts are all well-founded, and I appreciate those. Um, to answer, to, to go back to what Dan said on his original question, is the college game a uh, 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 support fi- uh, farm system for the National Football League? I don't think we can say it is. It is. At point blank, it is. It's the greatest system you can have for player to player evaluation. Now, again, we can get into the techniques and the, what they're doing offensively and defensively. Yes, those, those have some variance, no doubt. But, I mean, where can you go to look at 121 Division One programs and they're all the others? There's over 500-plus colleges playing this beautiful sport. So it's a tailor-made for evaluation for the National Football League. I mean, it's easy to say, well, why do we why do we need a developmental farm system? We've already got it. We've had it for years, and it's even increasing. We got more more colleges bringing football back, as opposed to the, of, of dropping. So yes, we have a system that's in place now. And with that system, it's where do we take it to the next level? Is my concern? Is my thought? 
when the player is drafted, he goes to training camp, he's slower developing on certain things because of our game and what we're playing, and yet he came from Alabama, he's a pro-style offensive lineman, he has a greater chance to make it than the other kid coming from Oregon who's running the, the, the spread. That being said, I, I truly feel we need some form of developmental program, whether it is a formal league, uh, by each individual club has their own team, and then that then they develop that like a farm system from within. Like the Chicago Cubs have an A team, they have a double A team, they have a triple A team, and they move these guys up and do it. But it's their own team, so it's their own foundation. Or is it the, the other the other concept we talked about of expanding the the uh, practice roster, which I think is excellent as well. So when it's all said and done, there are too many players out there that can be developed and play in the National Football League and be productive and enhance, enhance the league itself. And I, we just need a, w- a way to continue that. Um, and not only, not only players now, but we had mentioned trainers, administrators, marketing guys, everything involved, weightlifting, training, uh, all the different associates that we have in within the organizations. And that, those people, they want to they aspire. If I'm a... The marketing director, I want to aspire to be the marketing director of the Carolina Panthers someday. So that's all part of the developmental for the welfare of the, of the league overall. Hey guys, I, I sincerely appreciate all of your thoughts on the matter. Again, I mentioned, you know, being there week 14, injuries have occurred. You've exhausted the guys on your practice squad. Other teams' practice squads are just as uh, is thin in terms of guys that are, are ready to produce on, on well dressed up on game day that caveat is there there are players out there that just need a little more time a few more reps a little more attention to be able to be an option for those guys moving forward i definitely agree that all functions of a team um, need to have a development plan in terms of how you're bringing people along from the trainers and the, the medical side through scouting, through coaching, to give everybody an opportunity. You know, coaches don't get a chance to call plays until it's time to call plays for the most part. You know, there, there's some uh, some teams give a few snaps here and there, but, you know, that's something that these scrimmages uh, could absolutely provide an opportunity for. I'm very interested to see uh, what the league does as a whole moving forward because I think some of the things discussed here this evening are absolutely applicable and I think will get picked up and move forward. So again, big thank yous uh, to John Peterson, Amy Trask, and Jeff Schwartz for your time and your attention this evening. Great stuff. Uh, Thank you very much and we look forward to talking with you all again here soon.